apparently that's my uh, signature, I guess. I have to do that. Especially with that, with that uh, bump video. It's got, it's got a beat to it. You know? uh, my name is Rich Lynn. I am uh, an elder here at Jacob's Well. And as Scott said, uh, Pastor Scott said, we are continuing our uh, series, Faithful to the Core. And today our core identity that we are focusing on is life in multi-ethnic community. And it would be that icon right there. Uh, before we start, uh, in light of what we're talking about, I do want to acknowledge, uh, it's, in, it's in the headlines right now, I want to acknowledge the horrific video footage that was released the other day uh, of the deadly beating of Tyree Nichols at the hands of police officers in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, it happened earlier this month, and uh, they just released the footage, and, and it's horrible. Uh, and uh, we all grieve together. Uh, as a multi-ethnic community, we do uh, want to lament uh, this horrible injustice against Tyree and his whole family. And, and we, pray, we pray for uh, those who, uh, the African-American uh, brothers and sisters here who, who are deeply affected by this. And, and as a community, we, we want to lament with you. So multi-ethnic community, um, when, just to give you a little history, when the church was founded, this core identity was actually just life in community. If you look back at, uh, on our website, you can scroll through sermon archives. You go all the way back to 2009, uh, you will notice a, uh, it's, it's a series in 2012 called DNA, The Flow of Jacob's Well. And, as, and our founding pastor, he went through the core identities, and you'll notice that they have largely remained unchanged, except for this one, which is now life in multi-ethnic community. So life in community, the original uh, core identity, was... It was a countercultural call for our church, specifically for us living in America. We place a high value on freedom, individualism, self-sufficiency, and specifically for where we are, where we live and work in central New Jersey. Our lives are frantic, they're busy, filled with work, our calendars are filled. And even so, it may lead us to you know, a feeling of isolation or loneliness, even though we live in such close proximity to so many people. And so having this core identity challenged that in the church. And also, uh, I realized that it challenged, a, uh, and it challenged us to be counter to what tends to be a, a very Western American view of the church, a consumer-focused event where we show up when life allows it, and we hear good, some good music, a good message, say hi to a few people, and then we move on. So, so why, why the update? Why did we decide to change this? Uh, the deep desire of Pastor Reed from the beginning and the leaders at Jacob's Well has always been for the church to reflect the diverse demographic of where we live, of where we are. And for that to per pervade our commitment to life in community. And as the church grew, the elders decided that in order for us to move just beyond diversity uh, into a more authentic life and community, we had to state that explicitly. 
and we have to state that multi-ethnicity was embedded in this, in this value. So hu humans, us humans, we have a tendency to be drawn towards sameness. Uh, we're naturally drawn to others who are like us. Uh, there's a certain ease and comfort that happens when you are with, quote unquote, your own people. So I, I grew up in a Chinese church. I started out as a church for immigrants in the Princeton area, primarily young college students, young families from China, Hong Kong, Taiwan. And services and Bible studies were in Mandarin until enough of the kids grew up and they realized that they should probably have an a service in English also. And one thing that was beautiful about the uh, ethnic church, and this is especially in the 80s and 90s, is that it would attract people that were n weren't necessarily looking for God. Uh, their primary, what they were primarily looking for was a community, people uh, who were like them, and it was a reprieve for, for them who, who were living and working in, in America, a, a, new, a new culture, and, and a lot of times when, you know, throughout their, throughout their time, throughout their week, they, uh, they felt like outsiders. And so this was their, uh, these were their people, a chance for them to be with their people. And so in this context, without, a, without the language or cultural barrier, uh, it was, uh, they were able to have community, but also encounter Jesus. And it literally changed lives and the lives of families. And so that was, that was my church context. Uh, my parents, they had limited exposure to Christianity when they uh, were in Taiwan. And when they came here, they decided to attend church. Uh, they came, they, they went uh, looking for community. And that's how they came to know Jesus, and that's how I came to know Jesus. And so uh, growing up in the church, my, my friend, the church friends and I, we were pretty tight. You know, our, our culture, our, our family cultures were similar. Uh, we had similar clashes with our parents. Uh, we had common experiences at school where many times we were, uh, we felt like outsiders because of, of how we looked. And so we just, there's understanding. We understood each other. There's an ease, there's a comfortability with, with each other because of these shared origins and the shared, uh, the shared culture and the shared experiences. There's a, there's a series of, of uh, Asian dad memes which I find particularly funny, being an Asian dad myself. Uh, a lot of them were jokes we'd, we'd make uh, with my friends. My friends and I would make with each other about our parents when we were younger. And so just to describe it, uh, some of you may have seen it. In the middle, there's a, a picture of an, of an older Asian gentleman. And then there's words at the top and the bottom. And the one I, I found really funny, uh, is it says, uh, your blood, t your blood test is B, B positive. Sorry, this is actually this is how I, um, I mess up jokes. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> my wife found that very endearing for some reason, uh, and and she married me. So, okay. So this meme says, your blood, your blood test is B positive. Why not A positive? There we go. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of these. 
Uh, some are a bit edgier than others, and but you know we, my my Asian friends and I, we joke about this stuff all the time, and um, and it's funny because the struggle is real and the humor came from a shared experience. Now, uh, now let's you know making making the same joke or sharing a meme with my white or non-Asian friends gets slightly uh, a little more complicated. Uh, start to ask, you know, well, how, how well do I know them? How well do they know me? How well do they know my story? You know, do they know my experience growing up? And will they even think it's funny? Uh, or if they do think it's funny, will they share it with someone else and, and get offended or someone else and offend someone else? So all these extra layers of consideration kick in. And there isn't the same context and that natural ease and comfort it, was, it wasn't there, or it isn't there. And so the reality is that when you gather a group of people from different backgrounds, cultures, and ways of experiencing and perceiving the world, you do lose a sense of, of natural ease and comfort. And so some relationships, uh, take, it might take a little more work, and it might take some more time and effort to understand someone's cultural background and learn their story. And there might be some more risk uh, when you put yourself out there. Many times it's just easier. It's easier to stick with people who are, who are like you. And it isn't hard to wonder why the church in America can be so divided. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at Philippians 2. Uh, says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so when we intentionally enter into multi-ethnic community, we are in many ways sacrificing a level of our own comfort. But we embrace some level of discomfort and the extra effort it, uh, it takes for the interests of others and not just ourselves. I have a, uh, I want to put up a snippet here from, a, it's a very exciting book. It's a page turner. It's called Ethnicity as a Political Resource. Uh, well, I, I didn't read the whole thing. I just, I just found this part. But it's a book, uh, it's a collection of essays from various anthropology, sociology, history experts uh, regarding this topic of ethnicity. Actually, some of you might find it interesting. So, um, so in one of the essays uh, called The Anthropological Perspective of Ethnicity, ethnicity stick with me here, it says, uh, I, found I found the definition interesting. Uh, the core of ethnicity is the consciousness and feeling of individuals that they are members of a we group and their behavioral actions in light of this feeling. Ethnicity is a socially grown collective identity which assumes a common history and origin as well as shared traditions and claims to define a culture as different from all others. And so I share this because when we're talking about ethnicity, we should think, just, uh, we should think beyond just race. 
uh, I like this definition because it mentions we groups, a distinctive group of people that form because of, of things like common history or origin and, and shared tradition and culture. And this is by no means a bad thing in and of itself. It's actually quite amazing. It reflects the beauty and creativity of God in the diversity we see in the world. Uh, but because of, of the fallen and sinful nature of, of man, differences in diversity have the propensity to cause conflict and division. And it turns into an us versus them kind of power struggle. So just a, a story to, to kind of illustrate this. A few weeks ago, I was talking to my mom, uh, her church, uh, she was talking to me, to me about her church and how it had predomin predominantly become uh, or more and more people uh, in their church had, were, were immigrants from mainland China. And she said that the members of the church would talk to her and they'd frequently go back and visit family uh, on the mainland. And then they would come back and they would complain about how, how the people there were, would completely disregard waiting in line. Uh, there was blatant line cutting, very common. And they would come back and, and, and they would complain about that. It uh, turns out, coincidentally, that I myself had experienced this weeks earlier, uh, but it was, it was here. Uh, it was Christmas time, so I was at a, a, a TJ Maxx uh, picking up some gifts. And you know how in the checkout line you have, uh, it's like you know, shelves on both sides of merchandise. So once you get in the line, you're stuck. The only way to go is forward, you can't go back, and it's like you're trapped in there. So I was waiting in line, and this very is Christmas time, so it was very long. The line was moving slow, there was probably short staff. And then I was standing there, I felt someone, like a presence behind me, and uh, like someone standing really close, abnormally close. Um, and you know, I thought it was weird, a little strange, so I, I moved up a little bit. There's some space, and so I couldn't really move up much. And it was still, presence was still there. I could literally feel body heat on my neck. Like, it was that close. So I was thinking, this is, re this is really weird. Either, either someone's trying to pick my pockets, or, or like, I'm being tailgated in, in line. So, like, you know, I, I had my stuff. No one, no one stole anything. And so... So the reality is, is like someone, someone's tailgating me. And so, you know, what, what do you do when you're being tailgated? Uh, well, you drive slow. Like in a car, I mean, you, you drive slower. So I'm like, I, I'm not going to move anymore. I'm just going to stand here, see, see how long this goes. And, uh, and some time passed, and it, it was just it was getting too uncomfortable. I couldn't do it anymore. And so I, I turned, and I went to the left, you know, like acting like I was looking at something. And then, and then this person, I looked, and it was an Asian dude, like me, about my age, maybe a little older, and he just slid right on by. No, no eye contact, no acknowledgement, no talking, just and then, and I just looked, and I looked around, I thought maybe I was on a hidden camera show, uh, I, I didn't know what was happening, and I looked around, and, and the lady behind me, uh, she was laughing, and she was chuckling. And she probably saw my face, like, what's going on? And she said that, uh, uh, she said that he had been pressuring her, too. And she just let him go. 
And so this guy had been, had been basically doing that to people online and been moving up to get up the checkout line faster. And so I was, as, I was amazed at the same time, but I was also like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? What's this guy doing? And, and my first thought was, huh, this guy's probably from the mainland. <laughs> so if you're from the mainland here today, I'm sorry, that was my first thought. Uh, because uh, this was a bold move, e even for Jersey, you know, people here, we, we are not that bold. Uh, and I know this is not representative of, of all of China, of course, and uh, I know especially, and the context is in, in more crowded parts, you know, in the, in the city where there's large populations of migrant workers, uh, line, waiting in line is like a loose concept. Like, it's, you know, and, um, and so, uh, the second thing I thought was, was oh man, you're, you're kind of making me look bad in front of everybody. <laughs> but, um, so uh, why, do, why do I say this? Uh, so cutting, cutting in line is very benign, right? It's, it's like, you know, it's kind of silly, it's kind of silly story. Uh, but it did make me think about the complexity of ethnic division. You know, even though it looked the same as this guy, you know, same race, similar physical attributes, uh, we didn't have that shared common history. We navigated our environments in our world very differently. And so if you consider more serious matters, and uh, if you mix in human biases and pride and fear, past hurts and struggles and a desire for power, and so many of these other sinful tendencies that tend to creep in, you can see how quickly divisions can form. And these divisions, if left unchecked, can turn into whole systems of division, causing harm to whole groups of people. And so Jesus was aware of the complex dynamics of ethnicity during his ministry. Uh, as a Jewish man growing up and being well-versed in his own culture and ethnicity and religion, he knew the ways how his we group had created divisions and barriers. And so he would proactively, through his teachings and actions, seek ways to break down the divisions. And in the passage that Pete read uh, in Luke, we see Jesus' teaching using the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so this is a, this is a pretty well-known parable, uh, even those who are not super familiar with, with the teachings of Jesus. And one thing I think that's often missed is the context in which Jesus is telling this parable. Uh, so let's, do we have that? Open it up. Yeah. So let's look at, we'll look at verse 25. And so it starts out, before the parable, uh, when, while Jesus is teaching, a lawyer, which is a scribe, basically someone who knew the law. He was very familiar with the scriptures. And he spoke up with a question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? This is a question that Jesus gets more than once. And Jesus' response is to ask a question back. Uh, you know, ask, ask the lawyer, you know, what is your interpretation? How do you read it? And the, the response uh, is, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And so he answers correctly. Jesus agrees, and he tells him, do this and you will live. And then the lawyer responds by saying, who is my neighbor? And notice in the passage that it says, uh, actually, if you go back, uh, notice in the passage that it says that he asked the question wanting to justify himself. So this is not a question of, like, I, I don't know the answer. He knew the answer. He knew what his answer was, but he's asking in the hope that Jesus' answer would match his. And so this is where Jesus launches into the parable to answer this question, who is my neighbor? Uh, in, in verses thir- 30 to 35, uh, I will, I'll read it again. Um, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a, ma- a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan were walking along this road, Sounds like a start of a good joke. Uh, But it wasn't just a random selection of of people. Jesus uses these three for a reason. And so when when Jesus starts out with a priest, he starts out with a Levite, the the lawyer and the listeners would automatically associate them as one of my own, a priest and Levite. These are my people. Common history, shared culture, shared religion. Now, Samaritan. They, perceive, they, uh, they are perceived and treated as, as not my people, as far, as far from us as, a, as my group as they, can get, as they can get. A few weeks ago, Pastor Scott led us through our church's vision of breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. And the account of uh, Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well, which is uh, the, the namesake of our church, so I recall that uh, maps are a fun thing. You guys like maps. So I'm going to put that one back up. And, and then actually I have another one. So I'll raise you another map. <laughs> but, uh, so if you remember this one, I'll come over here. Uh, it shows the two paths, green and red, uh, going from Jerusalem up north and then north, north to south. So th- this is the path that... Uh, People would, uh, the Jews would take at the time specifically to avoid that area in the middle of Samaria. So, this, so Samaritans were, were people that they specifically went out of the way to, to not interact with. And so in using uh, the Samaritan as the one, as the neighbor, right, uh, the one that showed mercy, everyone knew that Jesus, what he was doing. You know, he was about to challenge their very notion of what it means to love neighbor as yourself. And so who is, who is my neighbor? You know, is it just people who you live among, who look like you, who think like you, believe the same things you do, or, or whatever else that causes humans to form a we group? And I think it's interesting that after, the, uh, after telling the parable, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the response was, the one who showed mercy. 
So, the guy, so this guy, he didn't even, he didn't even say it. He's like, no, he's a Samaritan. He did, he's the one that, that, showed, that was the neighbor to the man. But he instead, he just said, it's the one who showed mercy. And the who of the person in the parable was just as significant as what, what he did. I don't know if that was just the lawyer missed it or just didn't want to acknowledge it. Either, either way, uh, his re- that, was, that was his response. And in saying that it was a person that showed mercy, I, that th- that's, that's interesting also because that's kind of an understatement. Uh, Jesus specifically went at great lengths to describe what the Samaritan did. Uh, we could put th- the rest of that verse up. So just, just to take a look here, um, the, this, the Samaritan stopped on his own journey. Uh, he stopped and had compassion on the man. And uh, so he sacrificed his time. He stopped, sacrificed his time, and his safety. Uh, oh, yes, uh, the second map. Let's put the second map up. So this is a, it's kind of a map. It's more kind of topographical, right? So you can see that the green path, that's, that's the road from Jerusalem to Jericho that Jesus mentioned uh, here. And you can see it's pretty mountainous. It's very winding. Uh, it's, it's rough terrain. It's a tough, it's, it was tough, a tough journey. And it was n- notorious at the time as a route where you're susceptible to being attacked and robbed. And so this was the setting, right? So this is where the Samaritan sees a man, has compassion, and stops his own journey, takes his own time, and, and attends to, to the man. He also, and it says, he bound, he bound up his wounds and poured oil, poured oil and wine and set him on his own animal. So he gave up his own resources. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day, so again, spent an extraordinary amount of time uh, he, he cared for the man himself. He brought him to an inn. He paid the innkeeper for, for, the, for the stay, for the cost of care. Uh, he made sure this man was taken care of. Not only that, it could have ended there. He could have just stopped and gone. He would, he would have done a great, great thing. But he left an open-ended agreement with the innkeeper. Now keep in mind, this is a risky proposition not only because it's open-ended, but, but keep in mind of where he was. He was, am- he was among people who uh, did not look favorably upon him, even, even, uh, even maybe hated him. And uh, so if you, if you look at that area, the, the route between Jerusalem and Jericho, it was actually nowhere near Samaria. It was in the south. Samaria was further north. So he wasn't in, he wasn't in, his, in his hometown. He wasn't in somewhere that where it was very familiar. Uh, so uh, it was risky, and he was willing to open himself up and possibly be taken advantage of, uh, but he sacrificed his own security. So this was, this was not just mercy. Uh, this was beyond that. This was grace. And Jesus said to the lawyer after all this, you go and do likewise. Jesus, uh, Jesus knew how to how to drive home a point, and so, in light of this, you know, thinking about life in multi-ethnic community, uh, it does it, it gives us each an opportunity to love 
your neighbor as yourself. And it challenges us to break down the barrier of the desire to categorize neighbors as you know, those who are just like us or, or this definition that we have of who a neighbor is. And those are the words of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, said to this lawyer, said to him, and he says to us, you go and do likewise. In Ephesians 2, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks of the unity we have in Jesus. Uh, in this verse, he's specifically speaking to the Gentiles, the non-Jews who are struggling with integrating with Jewish believers, the conflicts between Jews, uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers was a common theme in the early church. And before this verse, uh, Paul names all the ways the Gentiles had been alienated and as a result seen as outsiders, unable to have a relationship with God. And this is where... Uh, we jump in, uh, is Ephesians 2, verse 13. You got it? I have it here. So Ephesians 2, verse 13, it, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we see here what Jesus does. He removes hostility and replaces it with peace. Uh, both hostility with God, uh, with, uh, between us and God, and then uh, hostility with, with one another, and then replaces it with peace with God and, and peace with one another. He continues on uh, in verse 19. So, you are, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so going from... Uh, well, so so I, I love the language in these verses. Uh, the language of building and growing. And uh, it's, it, uh, Paul calls J uh, the, Jesus the cornerstone. And a cornerstone is the first stone laid down in the uh, construction of a building foundation. And so everything else is built on top or around that cornerstone. And, and, and Paul calls Jesus our cornerstone. And so going from strangers and aliens to fellow citizens, members together in God's family is possible first because of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, he was able to break down the divisions and hostility and we continue uh, to build upon that, uh, build upon that solid foundation. But build, building takes effort, uh, building takes time, it takes intentionality, 
And sometimes building something requires something old to be torn down. And so for us, uh, for, for Jacob's Well, what does life in multi-ethnic community look like? What, what are we building? You know, what are the nuts and bolts and what are the practical things we do to foster a reconciled community? So I put a few things up. It's not, it's not exhaustive, uh, but hopefully give you an idea of some of the things that we strive to do. So first, we, we acknowledge current existing barriers to reconcile multi-ethnic communities. Uh, you know, we acknowledge that there may have been uh, past experiences and pain uh, in this area. Uh, we embrace, confront our own biases and complicity in causing pain and hurt to others, knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, we talk about the issues of race and ethnicity and justice. Uh, a lot of times churches want to shy away from discussing these because it's uncomfortable or potentially divisive. But we talk about it because uh, it is happening in the world around us. The discussion is there, and, and the Bible talks about it. And we should, uh, we should also. We, we want to have a biblical, gospel-centered worldview on these issues so that we can be thoughtfully engaged. And we just uh, plug the discipleship course here. We, we do a lot of this through our D course. Uh, there are environments where uh, it's not just learning. It's not just you know, taking in content, but there's dialogue. There's, there's uh, opportunities to talk uh, about these issues. And third, we celebrate the different ethnicities and cultures in our community. Uh, we celebrate through food and eating together in the community meal. Um, I challenge you to bring your spicy stuff. Uh, I, I do like that. I, don't, I, I like to be challenged with spice. So, I, so feel free to do that. Uh, we celebrate through language, praise and worship, scripture reading in different languages. Uh, we just sang in a different language today. And, and finally, uh, we value diversity in leadership and membership. And we do this, we value it not just because we want to be diverse so that we can look cool on Instagram, but, uh, but God has used your background, he's used your culture to form you, and it brings a richness and depth to our community. And, 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 and we value that. So in my line of work, uh, I, I interact with a lot of kids. And we, in my business, we do a lot of uh, parties and events with a lot of kids. And there's a saying that kids say the darnest things, and uh, and it really is true. And, and I was I was at this party once. I was I was setting up our equipment, getting the kids ready to play laser tag, and a group of kids came up to me and started asking questions about the equipment. Make, we're making conversation. The kids are about seven or eight, and one of the kids came up to me, kind of separated from the group. It was an Asian kid. He came up to me. And he says in, in, in this mocking tone, now I don't remember exactly, he said something, 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 and then, because you're Asian, and he pulled his eyes back at me. And, and needless to say, I was, I was absolutely shocked. I was flabbergasted. I did not know what to say. And I must have been silent for a few seconds. Because, and then, I, and then the, the only thing I could think of at the time was, like, kid, you're Asian, what are you doing? How do you do that? Um, and in the years since, 
you know, I've been, I've been able to process that moment. And, and I think the only reason that, that that kid would do something like that to me is because someone, someone, someone did that to him, uh, most likely more than one time. And is at that moment, he, fe he felt like he didn't, he didn't want to be other anymore. He didn't want to be on that side of it. And he wanted to find a way to flip, to flip that. And, and as I was thinking about that, my heart just broke for that kid. You know, I wish I, wish I had it in me at the time, you know, to, to just look at him and say, hey, man, like, I know how it feels to be on the receiving end of that. And it sucks. You know, you don't need to do that. You know, our eyes are all, they're awesome. God created us this way. It made you Asian, and you should be proud of it. I didn't say that. I wish I did. Uh, but, you know, there, there's something dehuman, dehumanizing about being treated with hostility or derision because of your race or ethnicity or having your person distilled uh, to just one or two physical traits or to be profiled because of your skin color or how you look. And so a, a reconciled multi-ethnic community you know, we don't, we don't just reject those things. But I believe God can use a community like ours to bring healing to hurt and pain that exists because of ethnic uh, disunity. And I don't think I fully understood what a, uh, a, re what a reconciled multi-ethnic community was until I had multiple opportunities to really listen uh, with a genuine intent to understand uh, to my African-American Christian brothers and sisters and hearing about their various experiences being black, both uh, out in the world and within the church. And this is only something you can do if you have proximity to someone. Uh, and, and not only proximity to be near them, but to have a relationship. You, know, you can read about it, which is very helpful, but, but it hits different when you hear it from someone you have a relationship who you care about and who cares for you. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, uh, and it, it calls us to this. And so uh, let's uh, look at this together. And again, this is Paul talking. Uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit and the bond of peace. So you see in this verse here, you know, we see humility. You know, humility is uh, being willing to listen and learn, uh, be being willing to ask for forgiveness if we say or do something that causes pain. Well, humility is being uh, accepting correction when needed. And then we have gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, uh, being slow to anger, willing to teach, uh, being willing to lovingly confront a brother or sister who has hurt you, and then forgiving where it's needed. I think I think right now in the world around us, if we if we look out there, uh, the world is working towards ethnic unity. You know, diversity is becoming more and more valued in the workplace, in entertainment, and all these areas and these spheres, and we should rejoice in that. Uh, but many times when we observe how it's being done, it's chaotic, it's loud, it's confusing. You know, it's a sense of get it right or suffer the consequence. And uh, last week, Tyler uh, led us to our core identity of thoughtfully engaged. And he used this vocabulary of posture versus gesture, which I thought was great. 
uh, the world around us has a lot of gestures. There's a lot of actions and intentions. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But these gestures, a lot of times, they come from a posture of pride or intimidation or guilt. And in God's church, we should be different. As we pursue life in multi-ethnic communities, together, our gestures should flow from, from a posture of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, as it, as it says in, in this verse in Ephesians. And so to conclude, I, I want to read from Revelation 7. Did I put that on the slide? I can't remember. Revelation 7, 9 to 10. I guess I did it. Sorry, guys. Uh, Revelation 7, 9 to 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is a vision that John sees of heaven. The great multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, all worshiping Jesus. There's a lot in this verse. It's very, uh, there's a lot of interesting things in this, ver- in this uh, passage. But for what we're talking about today, what's interesting is that it looks like ethnicity carries on to eternity, right? Uh, In heaven, we will still be people from different nations, tribes, cultures. We'll still be speaking different languages. But the divisions and hostility and the pain and the hurt will be gone. And we'll be united together with Jesus and, and, and praising and worshiping him. And so with that in mind, you know, that's, that's, that is a future, that's a future hope, but it isn't just in the future. It's something we can, uh, we can work towards, we can, we can move towards here and now, and, and that's what we are called to here uh, at our church at Jacobsville. So uh, I'll gonna pray and uh, I'll ask the, the band to come up. And yeah, so let's, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone here, for this church where you've placed us, Lord, for the the diversity and for the various uh, places and cultures and backgrounds that you've brought us all from. Even, you know, and we we celebrate the beauty of it, and and we also consider uh, some of the the ugliness of of our, our history and uh, we, we consider all those things, and as we as we gather, as we uh, walk with each other, as we serve you, as we worship you, Lord, just unite us. Uh, give us this posture that we we read about: humility and gentleness and patience. That only comes that can only come from you, and when we ask for that, I pray for our church here that we would we would do that that we would move towards uh, being united and loving one another and seeing each other as interests and, and seeing each other 
is more significant than ourselves. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.